We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. All right, guys, today on the Working Artist Project, we have Mr. Gregory Genere. Gregory is larger than life. You know immediately when he enters a room. His booming voice and loving energy engulfs you immediately. His journey in music is fascinating, not because of a great loss or some other cliche mechanism, but because he chose to pursue his dream against all odds. He is one of a few people that I know that exhibits true courage. After enjoying a highly successful 30 plus year career in television, he decided to give it all up, only to dive head first into the unknown. He is a living example for anyone who is afraid to take a leap of faith. Help me welcome Gregory Genere to the Working Artist Project. Good morning. Thank you. It's a special episode. We, we are both out here all the way in Doha, Qatar. In the desert. <laughs> We're in the desert. So, man, I want to give, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks ago, and I kind of want to recap that conversation for my audience, you know. I was talking about community. Right. You said that sense of community is lost. And I said, yeah, it, it seems to be because... Uh, um a lot of what's happened now is is that we we've we've we are living what that dream was for the for the most part. I mean, we're a lot of us have been able to excel economically, educationally, and do what we do. Um, but there is not as many of us. It feels like to me most of the time, there are not enough of us involved with the struggle, but. It seems that that question also, for me, has begun to be uh, the answer to that question was not so absolute because of the fact of Black Lives Matter. Right. You know, that rallied a people, uh, it rallied blacks all over the country. Mm -hmm. and, and subsequently, it's rallying, you know, people of color all over the world. Right. Um, and this is akin to that whole civil rights struggle and which which i think is is uh which is brilliant and is standing in the face of militaristic police that we all now have um that makes it makes perfect sense that the people have finally found a a, a voice as as one entity to say look this has got to stop Thank you. so that you're right in a sense that sense of community is lost but it's slowly beginning to regain ground because of you know the, the problems of today that we have to face yeah haven't been in a in a unique situation where you've experienced like maybe the end of the civil rights era and now we're back now in the Black uh, Lives Movement Madden era. Movement, yeah. Like, how does that feel? Like, it's like, damn. Dude. It's funny that you bring that up because I actually didn't really think about it until we were beginning to have this conversation. And mm -hmm. just as you were about to ask the question, it dawned on me. I said, "Wow, that's kind of interesting," because you know I lived through that as a as a kid, not really kind of getting. Mm -hmm. what was happening i mean i was six seven eight years old right. when that was going on but i saw what was going on i mean i saw the whole king speeches and i i saw what was happening in the news that's the other thing that got me hooked right were your parents like talking to you about it or, or no it? i was actually hearing them you know they didn't talk to us about it mm -hmm. no uh it was one of those things that you heard them discussing at their cocktail party right you right know, when somebody come over to the house on friday night a few people and you know, they'd have a have a bottle of something. And right. Everybody starts talking about everything that's going on in their lives or going on in the world. And, mm -hmm. and that's where you sort of get hints about what was going on. But no one ever specifically just said, this is what's happening. Okay. You know, a lot of, a lot of what I've had to learn uh, to this day, it seems, is all because I read and I listen. Yep. You know, because mm -hmm. no one seems to, you know, those, those days of mentorship, I think, are lost on us too um that was one of the other things about those big brother organizations and people within the black community was which i still think is a very vital thing i mean i'm involved in something sort of like that because i am involved with a you know a charity that you know has human services that we have to deal with every day so okay. um but it, it, it's we don't have that sort of rite of passage anymore. You know, we don't have somebody that kind of sits down and walks us through and says, "Okay, this is what's up." Right. 
You know, right. this is what you're going to face and this is what you're going to deal with and let you ask all the questions you want. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it sort of feels that way. I can't I can't paint everybody with that brush, but it just always feels that way. And I think it's beholden to us to circle back to what you were talking about, about community. It be, it's beholden to us to take one person at a time and, and try to rebuild that. Yep. You know, if there's somebody, yep. I mean, you talk about wanting to do something where you start a camp for right. kids doing this. I mean, if, if we don't have people like you in the world doing this, the kids are kind of growing up without any kind of focus. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to switch gears and like get back into, into your, uh, cause you worked at TV for a long time. I did. Like maybe people who don't know that, maybe people who see you out here around the world, <coughs> they, maybe they think you've been singing professionally for the last 40 years <laughs> or whatever 30 years but that's not the case i wish i had been singing out here for about 40 years uh it's no it's not the case um for 30 years of my professional life um i should say for 30 years of my adult life uh i've been a part of the television industry okay. i um i uh well, this kind of harkens back to that, what happened when my mother said, you know, about singing, because yeah. we never really, I never really answered that question. I think I got off on a tangent, but um, uh, I loved music so much. And I, you know, I was singing, I was, you know, I used to use the curtain rod that used to hold, oh. you remember those? <laughs> like it's your mic stand. Yeah, it was my mic thing, <laughs> man. I just kind of do that whole thing around the house and I do it for company and Everyone was like, oh, God, he's so talented. Oh, look, he can really sing. And I right. was like, yeah, I can right. And singing in church. And so I was getting solos and things like that. And, you know, I was kind of proud of the fact that I could do that as a kid. And my mother looked at me one day. She could see it in my eyes. And she said, you know something, son? You could sing for God, <laughs> but you need a job. Uh-oh. Right. And that stuck with me, you know. Um, she didn't even have to sort of explain. I got it. For some reason, as, right. as a small child, right. I got exactly what she meant because, I mean, it was the focus of the family, too. I mean, the whole right. thing was about work. Right. You know, the interesting thing about that it was, you know, no one wanted to necessarily be rich. I mean, they would have liked to have been rich, but right. that's not what it was. It was about getting a good job so you could take care of your family, mm -hmm. raise your kids, go on vacation. Quite, well, there's this whole notion in black culture of, like, building upon what your parents already shoulders, did. Yeah, you, you build know. upon that and then you keep that going. And right. that's what my folks were always about. You know, mm -hmm. let's do this. But, you know, that I kept that in mind, that saying, I couldn't I couldn't shake it. And I realized every time I thought about it, I realized, mm, you know, it was probably a pipe dream. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going to be wow. able to do that. So wow. I, you know, I... um I went to, I, I literally didn't know what I was going to do. I was sitting in high school and a vocational school, Eli Whitney Vocational High School in Brooklyn. Okay. And, um, and it's a vocational high school. And this, this was a very unique program uh, at this particular high school because every month as a freshman, uh, when you came into school as a freshman, every month of the school year, mm -hmm. you changed vocations. Oh, wow. So they, they gave you basically your first year of high school a an overview of the different kind of careers that were offered wow and okay. that they taught because vocational school so i mean everything from you know cosmetology and hair to mm -hmm. uh, machine shop work and machinists and electricians and and car repair and oh wow. i mean it was actually really kind of wait brilliant. was there a culinary thing did you yeah, they to... didn't have that's the one thing they didn't have oh man okay you know. okay so one thing they didn't have they had all of these other professions and mind you television wasn't one of them okay okay um but it were all very manual it was all very geared toward you know what we do manufacturing right. and labor and and um and because i became the sort of i became the class president okay 10th grade and um I had a really good rapport with the principal and the administration in the school. Everybody kind of liked me. So I was able to walk around and see things that a lot of people didn't see in the school. And I happened upon a room in school that had all this equipment okay. that was unused. They didn't even know they had it, felt mm -hmm. like. And so I went and got permission from him to you know, open a few of these boxes and I said, whatever I find, could we use? And he said, if it's if it's usable, yeah, let's let's do it. And I found a television camera, 
Oh, wow. A video camera and a reel-to-reel video tape recorder. And you taught yourself how to use it? Taught myself. Yeah, because the manuals were missing. <laughs> so I learned how to – I figured out how to put it together and figure out how to use it and started just using it in school. And I became, like, hooked. Wow. I became hooked. And so when it was time to graduate, um, I had it planted in my head. I said, that's what I want to do, but – is there a school for that? Somebody, yeah. you know, and uh, and I went to the college fair in New York. Okay, at the which was at a place called the Coliseum at the time, which is actually the site where the Time Warner Building's on now. Oh, word! Yeah. Wait, that's 59th Street, yeah, in Columbus Circle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there was a place called the Coliseum, and it was basically like the Javits Center is. Ah, know, it yeah. was. You know, it was just this big structure that had you know college fairs and they had car shows. And okay, they, you know, they had all this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I went to all of these schools, <laughs> like a young, naive idiot walking around from school to school going, do you offer television courses? Right. And listening to all, I had a bag full of stuff and, you know, and I found a couple of college universities, you know, I found Syracuse and upstate New York and I found San Francisco state, which basically were the, the two schools in the country, universities in the country that offered, uh, television sciences and broadcast services. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, let me try these out. And just as I'm leaving, I found this little school that had a booth right by the exit. Mm-hmm. And they had all of these pictures, like we were surrounded here, of, you know, students doing television. Wow. Cameras. And everything else. So, oh, where's that? And I said, it's in Boston. It's a little school called Graham Junior College. And, um, I talked to this guy for about an hour and I was hooked. Wow. And I went up there and got my mother to let me, you know, go up by to myself up to Boston to check it out. And uh, I went to this little, uh, I went to YMCA, spent the night and spent the weekend up in Boston and kind of overlooking the school and I fell in love. And wow. I ended up going to school there and um, that's where I learned to do the job well, do one of many jobs in, in television, mm-hmm. but it also is where I got a resume. So uh, I began to work freelance while I was in school Oh, cool! at the different companies, insurance companies and television, uh, I mean, uh, telephone companies up there that had their own in-house production studios. Okay. And so that's how I learned the business. So by the time I graduated, uh, I actually had a resume. Wow. And I got called uh, to work summer relief at ABC in 1979 okay back in the city back in new york back in new york okay because i did an interview the year before that my professor sent me on knowing i was never going to get the job but it was just so i could understand what the network was about and you know it was basically a fact-finding tool for me and i got this interview and uh and uh they called me back wow and said you know um two weeks out of school they called me back and said Remember that interview you took? Are you still interested in working for us? It's only for a couple of months because of summer relief. And I said, when do I start? <laughs> you know? And I, I stayed two years. Wow. At I ABC. Two, at ABC. Wow. I stayed two years there and went off to HBO from there. And right after HBO, I went to CBS and ended my career there 25 years. Wow. Wow. 30 years total in the business. And so you, over there, what you were doing, what at each place? I was... You know, uh, I excuse me. I was a um, videotape engineer, an operator. Okay. So basically, we were using reel-to-reel video. I was uh, making recordings and learning editing, machine to machine. Right, right. Working on. I was on the first crew of twenty twenty. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah. I worked on uh, Wide World of Sports. Okay. I worked on Nightline, which was. The show that was started because of the Iranian hostage crisis. Really? Yeah. So I, I was didn't realize on that. that. And um, I did my first Olympic game, but I did it from New York uh, at Lake Plaza at 1980 Olympics. Right. For ABC. And um, yeah, so I, I, mean, my, I, I was doing that. And because I became, you know, a bit proficient at it, they, I got it. I, 
my word got out from other people I'd worked with who moved on. Mm-hmm. And so they would call me and say, listen, there's an opening here. And that's how I got to HBO ah. and doing basically the same thing. And then I began to learn how to do um, video switching because we worked in a master control setting where, you know, we were taking all the feeds of for the East Coast and the West Coast and just sort of playing movie after movie after movie. But okay. then we were also doing real changes at that time on okay. the movies. There, there wasn't just one tape that had the entire film on it. You okay. had two reels, sometimes three. Oh, wow. And you had to sync them up. To, so the movie. You had to sync them up, and you only had sometimes a minute. Wow. Sometimes you had three minutes. Okay. And you had to sync it up and then take to the, the new reel machine. It was, it was, a, it was quite, a, quite an ordeal, but it was fun. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um and then I moved on to CBS where I was doing some of the same thing, but I was working on um just very programming. You mm-hmm. know, we did everything from sit there and watch. You know, one of my jobs at the time when I started was we had to watch a soap opera oh and to the the entire thing front to end to make sure that it was technically optimal. To okay. go on the air, you know, no problems, and you have to write up whatever, and that's how we got, you know, all of us who, do, who used to do that, we got hooked on soaps because you know, all of a sudden we, you know, like wow, right. okay, we What's, have to make sure we <laughs> one life to live. One, the right. uh, for us, yes, it was, it was like as the world turns, as the world turns, yeah, young and the restless, yeah, you know, it was. My uh, grandmother loves those guiding light, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, and these are all the things I grew up with, right? right. So I got a real kick out of the fact that I was able to do that because I saw it weeks in advance, right? Right, you right. Know, and I'd hear, I'd be on the train coming to work, and I'd hear people talking about this, the stories, right? Right, the stories, <laughs> the right. stories, and talking about what was going on, and I'm thinking, hmm, wait until you see next week, right? Right, right, <laughs> man. But you don't leave nothing out, man. You so you won a lot of awards for your work. In, in yeah, I, you know, I, I've won some, I, you know, I won, uh, I won Emmy Awards, but uh, they're, you know, they were a part of a larger, you know, group of winning for these broadcasts that we've done. I covered um, in my capacity of doing what I do, uh, I guess, in the neighborhood of four Olympic Games. Wow. Um I used to work on the NFL today. I did NFL football for CBS mm-hmm. as well as um, the evening news uh, with Dan, rather, and then subsequently morning news and all kinds of things. And and so uh, it's it's tied up in doing all of that kind of work. It's right. been, it was it was nice that uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you did it though man. that's great it. i did it that's man. great I, man. i did it how did you know it was time for you to leave television you know what i mean mm-hmm. like after all of the excess you went in emmys you're on all of the the biggest shows in the world hbo 2020 nightline you know what i mean you got a lot of accomplishments why would you just up and quit i'm sure you were getting paid a, a very generous salary <laughs> And so you, you, but you decided to to stop television and pursue music. At the time, what I was finding out in the in in the last, I guess, ten years of the job that I was doing was that there was some dissatisfaction for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been working on all these shows, and, and mind you, you know, personally, I just always felt like I was chasing something because mm-hmm. I wanted to be better. Uh, I was, I was good enough as far as I'm concerned to do what I was doing, but there were guys who were great at doing right. what they were doing. Um, I was ending the, the, the last mm, 10 years of my career there. I was working in post-production editing, okay. which is, you know, basically building stories from scratch or, taking scores and embellishing them with effects and graphics and, yep. you know, music. And, and um, I had a partner through the last portion of that who, uh, who was really significant to me. Dave Shore um, is a guy who was one of these incredibly sort of now thinking young men who was only t- less than 10 years younger than me, but 
you know, he was so quick on his on his feet and with his with thinking about how to do this stuff. And I was I wasn't. You know, okay. I realized something. Um, I realized everything was changing around me because I was being taught television by the guys who literally created the industry. I mean, right. when I went to CBS, CBS was basically known in the in the industry as a closed shop, which oh. means that they didn't hire people for summer replacements to cover their vacations just you know because summer is huge everybody you know these networks would just sort of have huge swaths of hiring because they needed the bodies to fill for these guys who would go off for eight ten weeks right you know for vacation and um and cbs was not a place that did that and so uh this was one of those years when I came into work there was hmm, 19, late 1981, 1982. There was this huge hiring that they had to do because they were starting two programs and they wanted to man them. And, um, and so I go into this place and it was like walking into a museum. Oh, wow. I'd, I'd never seen the, the, the network before. And, and basically here I was coming out of, you know, college being one of the newer guys. Right, right. right. So when we were doing what we were doing, we were already ahead of the curve with technology in a sense. Beta beta tapes and and, and one inch recording, that, that kind of stuff that's actually kind of fossil <laughs> fossilized right. now. Right. Because everybody's doing it on their computer. Um uh, that stuff was new technology for when I came in mm. because these guys were using the old technology. This was the only place I'd ever gone to where I could actually see someone physically edit videotape with a razor blade. Oh, shit. They were still editing certain shows like Sesame Street with a, vid- with a, with a razor blade, okay? No <laughs> one else was doing this. This is how old these guys were and, wow. they, were, and they were great at it. Wow. You know, I'd never tried it. You know, when those edit sessions came up, I just wanted to watch because right. I'd only read about it. I never saw yeah. anyone who had ever done it. You know, uh, that's how, that's how the technology was. I mean, it was like walking into the 1950s. Everything wow. had toggle switches. Wow. So knobs, it was like analog, like totally. <laughs> I mean, to be able to go and see the set for the evening news with Walter Cronkite, which was the set that Dan Rather had taken on. Right. And to walk into that room and see that it wasn't very big at all and that there, you know, there are all of these knobs and switches and dials and you're just going, right. What's happened? What, what happened here? I mean, the older guys walking around in white shirts and, and, and neckties, right. You know, where everybody else out of the places that I work were in jeans and sneakers and yeah. going, Hey man, were you dressed like that? Forward in management. You <laughs> right. know? And, um, yeah, it was a different world. And, but I was taught television by these guys who worked on Edward R. Murrow's shows mm-hmm. and who worked on some of the finest documentaries, uh, in television. And CBS was, CBS news especially was, you know, a pillar in, in the business. So I was very honored to work there and to, to work alongside and to meet people like Mike Wallace and Walter Cronkite and right, Rather right. and, you know, uh, Diane Sawyer and, and, and Brent Musburger and Greg right. Gumbel and, you know, all of these people that I got to, to spend time with, uh, doing the job that we did and turning out a really good product. Wow. But I started becoming disillusioned because, the company was taken over by a different entity, and then the entity started talking about how we needed to make more money, and so things were about being quick and being fast. And right. you know, they started looking at what we did as being too old, too long, and too slow. Uh, and uh, of course, younger people were coming in who were being raised on computer technology, which was great. Yeah, except that they didn't know the business of television. They knew how to, they knew how to move pictures around and do things on the computer, but they didn't know how this whole process was supposed to actually work. Gotcha. And so, you know, trying to get the both of us to to work together was an interesting prospect, uh, and we were able to do it because you know that's what you do. You you show someone younger about what's happening, what's going on. But then it became, 
more about using, utilizing what you knew more and utilizing them because they could do it quicker and they didn't necessarily have to do it as well as you did. It could be right. a little messy at it, but oh. it's okay because no one's going to notice. Uh. We got a lot of that. <clears throat> and so I became a lot more disillusioned by the whole prospect of what I was doing. And then I started seeing myself turning into like one of my colleagues because like I said, this place was like a like a mausoleum in a sense because <laughs> You know, I'm working along guys, alongside guys who were, alongside guys, gentlemen who were past retirement age. Oh, wow. You know, and they were still working there and sitting there looking at the ticker tape of their stock because they had, you know, we all had, uh, <laughs> we all had, yeah, we had, uh, you know, our packages and they wanted to make sure their packages, their retirement funds were doing well. And I said, I can't do that. I can't turn into that. Gotcha. I can't turn into that. So my wife at the time, uh, my ex-wife now, um, was, uh, she was evident in, in, in getting me to think about leaving. Ah, okay. Um, and because of it, I had be, I had become sick a couple of times being there and ended up in the hospital. And those are the long stories. And, um, you know, after all of that and convalescing and getting back to work and finally coming back, I felt like I'd landed on a different planet because yeah. I realized that, you know, it wasn't for me anymore. I said, maybe it was my time to either kind of sit down like these other guys were <laughs> and not not think about it anymore, or was it time for me to move on to move on mm -hmm. and i was scared but um it was a decision that I, thankfully i was it, it was made with the help of my wife at the time um who said listen you know we're doing okay and let's yeah. you know if you need to do that do that because i'd rather be able to talk to you now for a while <laughs> because you know i mean i was spending 18 hours a day there and seven days a week and when i wasn't there i was trying to be a good husband and mm -hmm. do the things with my wife that one does uh, right. as well and because you know we had a very different relationship than most people so we were busy a lot socially right. um that I, I was tired all the time, yeah. you know, and so, um, I quit my job Yeah, and, uh, I'm sitting there having coffee one morning, have the news on cause I'm still a news junkie and, <laughs> and I'm reading, uh, I'm reading New York times and I got my cup of coffee and all of a sudden it dawns on me. I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you an idiot? I quit my job. What the hell did I do that for? Yeah. Because now the panic began to really set in. And and uh, and she said, yeah, you quit your job. Now what? Right. You know, she says, because, you know, did, did that sink in now? Okay, so now what? Right. And I thought, wow, I don't know. And she said, well, you know, you've... Uh, You've been running around here, sitting in with people and singing, and everybody says that you should try it, you should do it. And, you know, now what kind of excuse do you have? Yeah. You know, you told us all the excuses before, and now you don't have them, you know, so. Get to it. You know, you met enough people, you met enough uh, musicians, you hang out enough at jazz clubs, you know, a lot of these people, why don't you just see what needs to be done and do mm -hmm. it? And, uh, that was uh, eight years ago. Wow. Nine years ago. You've and been on um, it. I met Anaje Allen Gomes in that, in that period. I met a few people. I met Anaje Allen Gomes, uh, who is a producer and arranger and pianist, wonderful guy for that, that, that work, and put together a really fine group of men to work with for me. And, um, and <clears throat> Tamara and I produced this CD. Okay. Because of it. And, um, you know, we got some decent notices out of it, but the rest of it for was, you know, sort of when, when it was done, it was one of those situations of, okay, well, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> because, you know, as you know, um, 
and just as in business that we come to in entertainment, no one necessarily tells you how to do this. Right. You know? Yeah. And because I don't come from a schooled background, I, I have not, you know, I've not had this as a child and then developed it into, you know, an educational program that I've gone through and taken that to, you know, a master's degree or a doctoral degree in music, jazz studies or any right. of that stuff. I mean, I don't come from that world. So I'm competing on that level. I'm competing with people who are half my age, if not younger, right. on that level. And I had to figure out how to stand out but not stand too far out. Wow. And that was an interesting sort of tightrope to walk. Yeah. Damn. What do you mean by that? Like, how does that, why, why um, did you feel like that was important? Well, because there was a, you know, I, I needed to work. Um, and I needed to work immediately but i also needed to work because it was the only way i was going to gain any kind of experience about what it was i was doing i mean yes i've you know i've been kind of singing and doing this for years but not on a professional level right. and so you know there was a, there's a whole certain set of difficulties and rationales that you have to come to and deal with in navigating yourself through this music and I didn't know what those were. And mm -hmm. I'm still learning about what those are. Um, thankfully, I will never stop learning about what those are. Yeah. Um, but what I was finding was that um, I, had to have, I had to have the perception of that I had been doing this for a long time. Right, right, right. Without overstepping that perception to the point where people sort of, you know, that became a lie. Mm -hmm. it, ha it had to be a perception but it hadn't it couldn't be a lie right because that's not what i wanted to do i didn't want anything i did based on that um so that's what i mean by you know being able to stand out but not stand out too, too much. much right right you know i wanted to be able to be looked upon as serious about doing it yep I got and you. not that it was a hobby right you know yeah and that's that that was very important to me and so for me, it was about being able to nurture those relationships I'd had over the years with musicians and yeah. with club owners. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I met a lot of people that I didn't know because of the great Sheila Anderson, the, the queen of hang. Uh, <laughs> we, we met at a book signing uh, of a mutual uh, acquaintance, uh, subsequent friend, uh, the chef and restaurateur Alexander Smalls. Okay. Who has uh, yeah? He owns uh, mittens and mittens and, uh, and, and Cecil's. Yeah, and Cecil's. Cecil's. Yeah, and um, we went to a book signing of his of a re-release of a book that he'd already written, and that's where I actually met her and Eric Reed. Ah, okay. And uh, this was very early in my process. Yeah. And that night, the three of us started talking at this book signing, and it was as though we'd been friends for years. And yeah. I just, you know, and from that point on, and Sheila and I have been friends for years ever since. I mean, we were thick, still thick as thieves yeah. on, for the most part. But, you know, you know, I told Sheila what I was trying to do, and she says, really? You know, so she's, you know, like a, her nickname is the Queen of Hang, so we just hung out. She would take me to clubs and introduce me to people. And, you know, I'd, I'd start my own relationship. She didn't talk anything up because, you know, she hadn't heard me. So right, it was right. just, you know, one of those situations, this is so-and-so, this is Gregory, and yada, yada. And, and, then you would. and then I just, I did it from there. And everything that I did was not based on I need a job. Mm -hmm. It was based on um, a conversation. Yeah. You know, how I feel about the music. What is it that moves me or drives me? What is it that they're doing at their particular club that I appreciate? Uh, you know, who who is the standout there insofar as what they're doing? Are they going for a particular vibe in the mm -hmm. music that they're programming? Um, you know, having those kinds of conversations helped a great deal. It also didn't hurt that, you know, 
I was well dressed most right. of the time. <laughs> See, that's the the thing I one of the things I admire about you most is your ability to connect with anybody. You yeah. know what I mean? And I feel like that's kind of lost, at least in my generation, you know yeah. what I mean? People yeah. are kind of introverted and, and afraid to engage people, but they don't know. See, you've never met a stranger. You know no. what I'm saying? Just being uh, here, you point. you talk to everybody yeah. as if they are your best friend. Like, how do you, how do you develop that skill? You know, uh, I'm a lifelong people person. Um, it it it's I really can't tell you how it developed. It became about the fact that um, you know it's it's also very it's what I one of the things that I learned at church. Mm. You know, okay. because we are all brothers and sisters, you right. know, and because you have so many visiting church people, there's a sort of known kind of camaraderie. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're in the same ilk. We kind of like the same things when we do it. But, um, that was for that. Mm-hmm. I had a hell of a time trying to do it in my personal life. <laughs> you know, because as a kid, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know how. I was more shy than I thought. Oh, what? I didn't realize it. Okay. I, it was one of those things that had never dawned on me. But you know, especially I went to Catholic school. For, oh, word. Okay. For um, for five years of my from third grade to eighth grade, mm-hmm. and um, and that was a, you know, of course that was a sheltered place. That was one of those situations where my mother, I got, I literally sort of got removed from school because oh, I wow. talked too much. Wow. Um, they got mad at me because I got tired of not being called on. And so I start shouting out answers. You know? and, and so they call my mother to school and she'd be pissed at me. And, you know, I get a whipping right. and then I go back to school and try to hammer down and deal with it. And they still wouldn't do it. And I still did it again. She said, apparently you don't need to be there. Right. So she said, I'm going to send you to Catholic school. And why? She said that. I thought, Right. Oh, you know, it's like, oh my God, all I heard about was, you know, nuns, penguins beating up kids. That's right. I said, I don't want to go any place like that. And sure enough, my first day, that's what happened. Yeah. I saw a kid get like schnockered by this, this nun. And I said, oh. And I was straight as an hour ever since. And very, and it took me a long time to warm up to people at that point because now oh. I'm in this environment where we're not like the same people. You're right. Catholic and I don't even know what that's about. Right. Okay. I come from Southern Baptist. I come from people preaching fine brimstone. Right. You know. And uh and you know, I go to some place where everybody's going, I know Domini and you know Spiritu Santo and you're going, Wow, okay, this is interesting. What is that about? And then it caught on. Um and I started to basically kind of hang out with the the nuns and the teachers because i i i felt more comfortable becoming comfortable with them than i did with with all these other students who come from this other land that i don't know anything about and and then i slowly began to get to know you know those people um to know other students but it it took a long time wow Hmm. let's switch gears a little bit so something interesting about you is you also you're a chef so to speak (laughs) And to prove that you've even been on a cooking show, yeah. you know what I mean. So that, like, you that that's crazy. Yeah. How did that happen? That was uh, that's crazy. I, you know, um, I learned to cook on my own, um, basically, and because I, I used to, again, my home is the basis of everything that I do. Um, my my mother was probably one of the best cooks I'd ever known. Okay. Um, Southern cook, yeah, you know, of course, and. We all love our mother's cooking. Yeah. Most of us. Uh, My mama didn't cook. <laughs> like I said, I most of us. <laughs> but I learned at, after watching her for years, man, all she did was, you know, that's that's basically what she did all mm-hmm. the time. She'd come home. She'd sit down for a minute. She'd get into the kitchen. She started making something. And uh, she was either making a cake for someone or she was making our dinner and making someone else something else to take to them at the hospital or take to the church the next day or whatever. And so she was always cooking and I sit there and watch her put this into that and this into that. And, you know, finally one day I figured out how to do it on my own and thought I'd surprise her when she got home and actually have dinner made. Oh, wow. And uh, she looked at me, she said, this is not bad. (laughs) (laughs) And so subsequently, I I kept doing it and kept doing it to the point where um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And so for me, you know, I I, I have a 
massive cookbook collection, you mm. know, and, and I read them through cause they're interesting, but I don't necessarily, I'll follow the recipe once to see how it's supposed to come out. Yeah. And then I start adding, mm, it might taste better if I do this or yeah. if I do this or if I do that. And so the whole, uh, you know, I was basically kind of known in the marriage as being the chef, the chef. Yeah. And so everyone would come to my house for dinner and we were, I, I, I can't tell you how many dinners I've made for people. <laughs> and, and, you know, I used to escape into food as well because when things, you know, weren't going well, of course, we go to our comfort zone. Of course. Mine was turning on some great jazz music and starting to cook wow because cooking is patience it's you know everything basically only takes 20 minutes it's all the preparation to get to that point yeah it takes forever yeah and uh you know and i do things like i i drive all over the city man to get i i I go to a place uh ottomanelli meats in 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 the village yeah it's been there forever i go there to buy my meat that's you a know. great thing about New York, man. Yeah, you man. Can. You got, you got, it's the food. It literally is the food capital. Yeah. So you can get anything. And because you have all these great green markets, I can get your farm fresh vegetables. And, yeah. And, you know, and I go to a lobster place to buy my fish in, 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 uh, in Chelsea Piers and that kind of thing, you know, yeah. and I got into doing that. I drive all over the city to get the ingredients for one dinner. Right. You know, and uh, and I just sort of got into it. And so what had happened uh, was um, my ex-wife was a uh, it was a a contestant on Chopped. okay for celebrities. okay. And then what she'd done was uh, she realized that when she got there, she was scared out of her wits. Because they, you know, they they don't have to ask to do this. They're chosen, right? right? So she's going, okay, I'll do this. But yeah, and she cooks. You know, she cooks well. Um, but she she was looking at this, going, "This is crazy. This, <laughs> this is crazy. It's like next level." And so she was an alternate on the show, uh, which she was glad to find out. She was fine, okay, because I couldn't do this. Yeah. Um, but she told them about me. And so they called me up and said, can we have a conversation? I said, sure. They said, they're not asking me to do the show. They want to ask me about food. So they said, only take about 15 minutes. We'll sit and talk about food. I said, great. You know, like half hour later. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going on about my passion about making this, about doing that, about doing this. So, you know, they contacted me and said, listen, uh, we'd like to have you put in an application for uh, our amateur contest. Wow. Okay. Couldn't hurt, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get chosen. I get chosen. Damn. And I get chosen. I get chosen two weeks before I come here. To Doha. To Doha. This was this year? This was, no, this was 2014. 2014. Two weeks before I come to go here, uh, they tell me to congratulations. Um, you're going to be one of our contestants. And uh, I go, oh. Okay. Right. But suddenly it, it had just, it had the, 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 the wonder of that just didn't really dawn on me. It was coming here. Yeah. Because this was going to be something I'd never experienced. It was also something that I never expected. Yeah. And, um, in my, you know, journey of trying to do this music. And, um, and so this became more of my focus. And yeah. so, you know, they'd be sending me emails while I'm here about what they want, what they need. And I'm like, why are people bother me? <laughs> gotta, you know, I got to learn these tunes for tonight and yeah. get all of this stuff done. And, um, and so finally, you know, I'm starting to really kind of grasp the gravity of it all that I'm actually going to be doing this show. And I go, I don't know what to do. Oh, Oh, suddenly I'm going to be one of these people who goes, I don't know what to cook. And so I started talking to um, the Michelin star chef that was in Gordon Ramsay. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, we started talking about food a lot and food a lot. And I'd say, well, how do you do this? And he goes, he said, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? I said, you know, we have our days. And he says, well, come come by the kitchen. And so I came by the kitchen. And we spent three hours breaking down a chicken, making sauce, cooking lamb. Wow. Uh, you know, and um, it was great. 
Wow. You know, it was great. But my whole, this is also the trajectory that I'd taken in cooking. I'd come to know so many people in the restaurant business. That was one of my things. Right. I mean, all over the world, wherever we flew to, I always wanted to be in the kitchen and seeing how they did something, what they did. That became my fascination. Wow. And uh, so that's how I got to the to food thing. And so basically, subsequently, I was here in 2014, and I was to leave in May, May 8th. Okay. Was my last day here. May 9th, I was supposed, no, May 10th, I was supposed to be in the studio. Cooking for chop. Cooking for chop, right? So I take a 20 hour flight home with layover. Wow. And I had like a bit of a day in between. And then at 5 a.m., I had to be at the studio. That's I insane. <laughs> So talk about not knowing what to do. Right. I, I was sort of sleepwalking through this entire thing. Mm -hmm. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever watched the episode, I was chopped. <laughs> but I did the show. But you did the show. I did do the show. So when are you open your restaurant? Ah, uh, well, you we, know, one you never know. knows. I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it's always there's always something there. I mean, I I come up with things about that because I actually um, have always wanted to have a restaurant even mm -hmm. before the music and even before anything else I, I realized how much i did love cooking i said yeah. man i would love to have my own place you know and talked about it with a few friends who were already in business over the years but you know for of course you never follow through on yeah. you know, something like that it's a big undertaking yes yeah, a big undertaking you know. maybe one day man maybe, maybe don't go far so you know? well you know as now, what they say watch this space right right <laughs> What are some things that, you know, if you could name two things that you're most grateful for on this journey thus far, you know what I mean? Like, you've been through some major transitions. Yeah. You know, like, what are, what are some couple of things that you're most thankful for? I'm most thankful, really, for the resilience that I seem to have acquired mm -hmm. that I never thought I had. Um, to leave something that I had grown to love and be comfortable with um, and to just get the feeling that, that my life my life had to take a turn mm. to something else. I never knew what that was. I was following my heart and I think I think that's how if you know you believe in God or not but I think that's how the universe speaks to us. I think I think we get we get something that is so powerful that tells us to do something. Yeah. That instinct that we want to call it. Um that we just if we if we open ourselves up to it and follow it, it usually leads us to something. You know, it's we always think that it has to be something good, quote unquote. What we don't realize is that change is good, and mm. it it requires um, fear, it requires strength, and it requires tenacity. And it, wow. it needs it needs to be you know you, you just need to you need to have enough faith in the fact that something is going to come from this that is going to be beneficial, and. I read someplace once, uh, leap and the net will appear. Wow. You know, if you just sort of step out on faith, something's going to happen. You know, you're not going, you know, sometimes we get in our own way because we overthink it and we get to the point where we think, you know, you know, everybody knows that somehow you should have a plan, but sometimes you don't have a plan. Yeah. You know, I never had a plan. I was always crippled by the fact that I didn't have a plan. Wow. Because everyone always said to me, so what are you going to do next? And I go, I have no idea. <laughs> and, and, and that scared me more than anything because everyone kept looking at you and still do to this day to say, well, you got to have a plan, you know? And my plan is to do what I enjoy doing mm. on all of those different places. But, you know, I'm not a type A personality in the regard that I knew exactly what I wanted to do from the moment I stepped on stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, ne it was never that plan. Whatever 
happened was a progression of beautiful things that were happening in those moments that led to another moment, just like being like all those moments that I was able to do what I did in TV and then suddenly find myself feeling dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, and not wanting to see myself grow old, just wanting to see myself stop being a spectator in life and start being more of a participant. And it's kind of funny because on a, on a, on, on a certain level, we are spectators and in, in doing the business that we do, we, we're watching, we're watching for you so that we can bring you these stories and right. we can bring you this, this point of view that you can take a look at and discern from yourself what it is you want to do about it. Um, for me, instead of just talking about those things, I wanted to be a part of them. I wanted to, I wanted to know what it was like to be in another country. I want to know what it's like to be here. I mean, look at us. We're in a Muslim country. Right. Know, something that neither one of us thought we'd be sort of sitting and <laughs> dealing with, especially after 9-11, all for the sure. things that went on at that. But it's a whole different perspective and a whole other point of view, something that, that, you know, from a sociological standpoint, is fascinating. Yeah. Um, but though, but like I said, those are moments that have taken me other moments. I, the only thing I've ever said that I wanted to do is I just want to sing, and I want to be successful enough to sing to pay my bills. That's yep. all I want to be able to do. You yeah, know? it is. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do because there's, you know, of course, it'd be nice to just stand up there and sing, but you just can't do that. There's yeah. a lot of prep that has to go, not only in that, but there's a lot of things that has to happen to continue that. Yeah, of course. On to the next thing. And so if, if you could say what I'm grateful for, grateful for, um, is that I have been blessed with resilience. Mm. Wow. There it is. You heard it first. <laughs> I want to thank, uh, Mr. Gregory Genere for participating on, in the Working Artist Project. And, uh, you know, we've got to follow this up with a part two one day. I think so. Cause we didn't really get to talk about the other star from the music that I got into, but we, but, but thank you for talking about yeah. life. Cause I don't get to tell this story yeah. or, or get to even get my thoughts out on it. Just in, in conversation, I like the fact that you chose stories that I chose questions, I should say, that, um, that made me think about life a little bit deeper yeah man you know because that's what we want to do man we get to know each other through shared experiences right that and is so keep on keeping on brother <laughs> you know you're an example to me oh man thank you bro so cheers hey guys thanks for listening to the working artist project but before you go i just need you to do one more thing don't forget to hit the like button and don't forget to hit that subscribe button you can also reach me at DarianDouglas.com. Just when you get there, just go to the contact page, drop me a line. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know if you like the podcast. I want to know if you want to hear certain topics, whatever it is. Just let me know. Let me know what it is and I'll, I'll do my best to make it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I forget, also, you can catch me on Facebook by typing in The Working Artist Project uh, or you can just type in Darian Douglas. I'm looking forward to connecting with you later.